Welcome everyone. This is Quantum Nurse and I am Grace Asagra, your holistic registered nurse. Not too long ago, I just had a conversation with a dear friend of mine and he was really struggling on making his life, his career work because he also had some personal issues that he has to take care of. And I know that, you know, a lot of people goes through this and then it seems like it's just hard. And so today we are blessed and I'm so lucky to have Nurse Keith. Okay, and that's how I got introduced with, to him by a dear friend of mine and thank you, Deb. And so, you know, and this is his specialty. I see him as a nurse coach and as a coach in general for those who are struggling with certain things that to make their career work, not just in nursing. And um, Keith is not just a coach, but he really is, uh, uh, he, is he, he has done many things from, from motivational speaker, from writing, from podcasting, for, and just an award-winning nurse blogger. So for nurses, he's not a, uh, a strange name for them. So thank you very much that I am proud that you are here. The Nurse Kids Show offers invaluable information for nurses and the healthcare professionals speaking, seeking career satisfaction and deeper knowledge and interviews with high level healthcare leaders and influencers. And more than ever, especially during these unprecedented times, we need people like Keith. So welcome so much, Keith. Thanks. And Thanks I, for having me, Grace. And I guess, you know, even if I did that little short introduction, please mm -hmm. feel free. How about you start with what made you really become a nurse? Because there's always a fine conversation between uh, two nurses. Mm -hmm. What made me become a nurse? Let me see. Well, I struggled throughout my 20s trying to figure out what I wanted to do and how I wanted to spend my my life as a professional and actually had my only my high school diploma till I was 32. I had gone to art school in Philadelphia in the early 80s and dropped out of several art schools. I became a yoga teacher, I became a massage therapist and nothing was quite working the way I wanted it to. So at a certain point in my mid to late 20s, I had a stepson who was a tween, you know, he's on his way to becoming a teenager. My wife at the time was going through her bachelor's program and then a master's program. And I realized for one, I needed to set a good example for my son, who's now 37 and a successful professional, I'll say. And I also needed something I felt I could do to contribute to society and earn a good living and do something that felt right to me. And I actually had several nurses on my father's side of the family, my aunts, it was, uh, two of his three sisters were nurses, one was a teacher. And it's funny when I was starting to recollect their lives and the stories they told. One of my aunts, um, she she was quite a, what you might call like an old battle axe kind of nurse, you know, from World War II. And she, I love telling this story. Her name was Jan and she was the wife of my aunt. And Jan always told stories about being a personal nurse to General George Patton during World War II, which I imagine was true. I don't think it was a tall tale, but then she would also tell really funny, sometimes risque stories. And one of her stories was that when they were out on the battlefield and General Patton had hemorrhoids, she would make him soak his butt in a helmet. <laughs> so I don't know if that was actually true, but it was very funny. And all of those stories and that history of nursing within my family actually I think is what made me eventually kind of pull the lever for nursing and choose nursing school. And I never looked back. <laughs> That's really a beautiful sh short story. Um, it, but, and since you've been doing this nursing and 
all the others uh, other than the bedside nursing and all mm-hmm. those coaching nursing. What is the most exciting thing that you have seen in terms of helping the nurses? Mm-hmm. Well, in the past eight to 10 years while I've been doing career coaching for nurses, the exciting thing for me specifically, personally, is helping nurses find who they truly are and what really will make them happy. And I feel like one of my missions is to help nurses see that there's more than just the bedside. There's more than just the hospital. And there are so many opportunities for nurses now in the 21st century. And just today, I was working at a COVID testing site here in Santa Fe as a temp. And I was working with a nurse who works in an ER down in Albuquerque, New Mexico, just an hour south. And he learned what I was, what I do, and he was asking me questions. And he's been a nurse for quite some time, almost 23 years. And he said he had no idea he could do anything outside the hospital. And yeah. that always shocks me. But I think many nurses think that the hospital is the only valid place where they can hang their hat. And it's actually just not true. So the most exciting thing to me is the variety of things that we can actually choose to do if we want to embark on a path that's not quite in the hospital and maybe not quite in the mainstream. Do you see that trending in terms of more nurses wanting to do more outside the hospital or any type of bedside? Mm -hmm. I think there are a lot of nurses who get burnt out on acute care, but they don't know what their options are. There are a lot of nurses who, like me, back when I finished nursing school, don't even want to work in the hospital. So I chose to never work in a hospital, which many people said was career suicide. And I'll say that they were wrong. Um, And I think there's there's, there are just these narrow perceptions and a lot of nurses' eyes are being opened to the fact that they can do different things. And I'm seeing a lot of younger nurses, millennials, who are saying, you know, I don't want to work in the hospital. I want to do something different, something to really follow my heart. And entrepreneurship is also really exploding right now. So nurses are realizing that they can start their own businesses and do things that are outside the box. So those are the trends I'm seeing. Uh, whenever, whenever I look around and talk to people, I'm, I'm hearing these types of stories. So in holistic nursing, uh, you, you, we were both around holistic nurses. We always use the word, be, be authentic, um, be yourself and you know, and like at the same time, we say, find your role model. But what is the crucial importance of really bringing your authenticity to one's life and then to your work? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Authenticity, I feel, can be, if we choose it to be, one of the engines that runs our life. And I try to have authenticity be one of the engines that runs both my personal life and my professional life. And that doesn't mean that I'm, I'm a perfect person and everything I do is, you know, is gilded with gold or anything like that. You know, it's not, it's not that I I see it as being authentic means one being authentic to yourself, being authentic to the kind of person, the kind of professional that you want to be and being authentic to your values, the values that that underlie the person who you are, which also generally underlies the professional who you are. So when we bring authenticity to our lives, we're honest with ourselves and we say, well, that's what everybody says I should do, but I don't really want to do that. I want to do this. Like when I graduated in 1996 and I told my peers and professors that I wasn't going to get a job in med surge and they, they thought it was the most horrible thing that ever heard. And I knew I needed to be authentic and clear about what I truly wanted and what motivated me. And that, that can often put us going against the grain. We can be swimming against the current to use two different 
to mix metaphors there, which is one of my habits. Um, so we, we need to be authentic so that we can be true to ourselves. And then if we can do that, then we can bring our authentic self to our work, to our patients, to our clients, to our colleagues, to our workplace, and bring it to our career. And if we make authenticity one of those central driving factors, really empowering what we do, then I generally feel like we can't go wrong. In my experience, Keith, I just want to share that with you, that, you know, my, my, gui my guiding um, my guiding, uh, my guiding factor, if I can call it a factor, when it comes to like acknowledging my authenticity is just I have to keep remembering where I came from. So that's kind of one, okay? So like, because, you know, I didn't grow up in United States. So I came from the Philippines with different culture and mm -hmm. diff just different understanding. So when, when I'm trying to find my authenticity, like I do have to remember that. But at the same time, I know I can also find it by being different from my culture. <laughs> you know? like, so I don't like to try to limit, limit that within myself. So is that something that you tend to see also? And as, cause you just said that, you know, following it, finding your authenticity, it can be going against the grain. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And I think we, we get, I don't want to, I don't want to cast dispersions on nursing schools. We get pretty siloed in nursing school into certain areas of belief and perception of what nurses are and what they can do. And of course, nursing schools teach to the NCLEX, right? That's what they're trying to do. They want you to get licensed. It's good for you. It's also good for them when their graduates can pass the NCLEX and get licensed, which is all well and good. But when we're not aware of what our, our alternatives are, when we're not aware that we can follow what is in our heart or the, the ideas and perceptions that we have that are different from others, when we get blocked from that, I feel like that's where people end up unhappy and end up burning out, especially when they don't necessarily do the thing that maybe was truly calling their name. And sometimes some of us choose to pay our dues. I paid some dues back in the day. And there comes a time, sometimes when we're a little bit older, and we have more experience and more life experience that we can make a different choice and feel more confident. So you can, you can be an authentic person, but still not have confidence. And if you don't have those two wrapped together, that can make it hard to express your authenticity if you don't feel confident in your ability to do what you're planning to do. So what's, what would be the first good step you know, because mm -hmm. even people who say, well, uh, what is really authenticity? And they get so confused. And then, mm -hmm. you know, so what would be a good step for someone to really understand their authenticity? A um, couple decades in psychotherapy. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, actually, I'm, I'm kidding, but I'm also not kidding. I mean, I'm very open about my own journey and I talk about my own experiences in therapy often on my podcast. And I, I use that as a jumping off place for work I do with my clients. So I don't keep it secret because I don't feel like it needs to be secret. So it's it, what I'm really driving at is that self-knowledge is really where it comes from. We have to really understand ourselves the motivations underneath what it is we want or what we see in the world or what we see ourselves doing or being in the world. And it's also understanding our past. And this is where things like psychotherapy and counseling or, or um, personal growth workshops and that sort of thing can be really helpful. Because if you think about it, a lot of the things that drive the choices we make in life, I believe, and this is a lot of basic behavioral psychology, are the things that happened to us during our childhood and during our formative years. And 
with our with our nuclear family, whether we're adopted or we're with our birth family, it doesn't really matter. But those because those experiences are the same. In essence, we're growing up in a household with other people. And the things that inform who we are as adults are to a large extent based on the experiences we had as children and as adolescents. So we need to, from my experience and my my in my opinion, we need to go underneath. We need to do a little subterranean work. And that's where the gold is. That's where we can really learn about ourselves and truly understand ourselves. And once we get that understanding, we can make better choices in our lives. And for some of us who have a history of trauma, whatever type of trauma that happens to be, whether it's abuse or neglect or divorce or death or whatever it is, those 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 psycho-emotional and psycho-spiritual processes need to be dealt with, in my opinion, in order for us to really actualize. And that's that's what we truly want in the end, isn't it? Is self-actualization. Yeah, I can relate to that because like from in my upbringing, I, my family is not the ideal family of mm-hmm. just having like the married parents and your, your brothers and sisters. So I have so many stepbrothers, half brothers, half sisters. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of like the younger generation. And my, my, my most trauma for me that I truly remember is when there was a family photo or was a gathering and there was family photo. We weren't part of that family photo. Wow. So I never forgot that. I never forgot that. It's just, you know, I didn't I didn't go out crying to all of them, but mm-hmm. I just didn't forget that. And so when I'm relating to my half brothers and half sisters, I always have that reservation that hey, you didn't really welcome us. Mm-hmm. So what do you expect from us? <laughs> you know? Right, right. And I don't, thank you for sharing that. I don't want to psychoanalyze you, but just in a general sense, if, if that sense of rejection and not being welcomed from earlier in life, like childhood or adolescence especially, doesn't get resolved, if it doesn't get dealt with, then when you get rejected, subtly or not so subtly by the nurses on your unit, there's going to be maybe an eruption of feelings and or behavior that might even seem out of proportion to what's actually occurring in the moment. If you got rejected by your peers on the unit at the ICE, in the ICU, it shouldn't be that necessarily a big deal, depending on how they rejected you. But if you haven't healed that part of yourself, that was traumatized by that rejection as a child, then it goes to show that it will manifest in adulthood. And I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychotherapist. I haven't even taken any college courses in psychology other than the basics to get through nursing school, but it's a great interest of mine. And I've used myself as my own subject in my own explorations and in therapy. So I understand it from experience person for, for the most part you know it's but it's really true you know in fact sometimes like one could feel like i could feel like a, like as if i've gotten through it but every now and then there's something that will trigger and i could feel that again and mm-hmm. but my but on the other hand at least one thing i know that i'm good at is i am aware that i can feel that you know, I am aware that I can, you know, that it's might be, it's not really totally true in my thinking, mm-hmm. you know, so, and, and that, that also helps, helps me. And when you were speaking earlier about all of these emotions, and mm-hmm. I, the image that came in, into me is that, you know, like in the, not like in the mud or in the pond, like it's really muddy, right? Mm. It can be, and most of, I, I think most people would say, oh, you know, it's just like a muddy feeling or like you want to bury it. And and at the same time, that's when now those beautiful water lilies 
floaters come. And True. like, ah. so, so when I have to go back to all of that past experiences that I think weren't very exciting, then I said, wow, that was really training me to be more, to be stronger, to be able to relate primarily to me and you know, to other people. And, and so can you continue please and speak more on that relational intelligence? Because mm -hmm. again, you know, we're, we're it, it, one of the best things and secrets in having a healthy life and a healthy career is the, mm -hmm. that beautiful relational intelligence. That's true. And I speak and write a great deal about emotional and relational intelligence. And again, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not an expert. These are just areas that I've studied myself because I find them fascinating. And I think they're important things to pay attention to. And as a career coach, I feel like it's especially important for me to bring these issues to these concepts, I guess you'd say to my clients for them to, to weigh if they feel important to them. So if we're going to talk about a relational intelligence, I think it's good to start with emotional intelligence. And generally emotional intelligence is defined as the ability to read and label and appropriately respond to your own emotions. So you understand and can label what you're feeling. It's like, oh, I'm feeling really angry right now, right? And then you, then you can then decide what to do with that anger that you're feeling. And it's also the ability to, to perceive, read, label, and respond to the emotions exhibited by others. And then that's what seeks into relational intelligence, which is how do we read others and read what's happening in our own body, in our own psyche, and then decide how we're going to relate to those people. So if you're working with a nurse and you're under a great deal of stress, let's say you're on the COVID unit, right? Which is a common experience for many nurses around the world right now, so over the last well, more than a year now. So you're on the COVID unit, um, high level of stress, um, more patients than beds, patients coding, patients going south, and you're having to figure out how to salvage them and work as a team. And something happens and you get really triggered emotionally. And maybe your colleague who you're working with gets similarly triggered, maybe even at the same time by a traumatic event. Maybe it was the death of a child, or maybe it was the death of someone and both of you experienced that death in a similar way where you were traumatized by, let's say, the death of watching your, your parent or uncle die years ago. And that that experience of watching this patient die of COVID brings up that old stuff from the muck, from the mud that you just mentioned, right? So with emotional and relational intelligence, if that other nurse is, say she's really, she's really kind of, she's going off the rails. Like she's, she's really having a hard time functioning. She breaks down and you're able to hold yourself together and actually kind of swoop in and pull her off to the side and kind of talk her through what she's going through, that's, that's a form of relational intelligence that you can say, okay, I'm triggered and you're triggered. Let's sit down. Let's see how, what we can do here. Let's see how we can save each other. How can we support each other? And that can happen in conflict as well. And and it can happen in love relationships, romantic relationships, and families. So that ability to, to read, label, perceive, understand, and then respond to emotions in yourself and others is so important in your personal life and your professional life. Difficult um, situation to apply that is for me is when you are having that difficult challenging relations intelligence with with the family of your patient because you, yeah. you know they that because if, if it's just between 
nurses and uh, other health professionals in your team, I, it's, it's like you have that moment and you sort of understand each other, like as if it won't be too, too traumatic when you go home. But when you have it with, with, with a, uh, a patient, family, it's like, my goodness, it's like a mortal sin. <laughs> right. And that and really, that's when <laughs> yeah, you do bring it home. You do. And just, just imagine, I'm sure many, many people listening or watching can relate. You're, you're in a situation with a patient and family where it's, it's a pretty intense interrelational situation going on. And there's plenty of scenarios we could talk about, you know, grandma's dying and some, some members of the family want to tell her she's dying. Other ones don't want to tell her she's dying. It's a very common story, whatever it is. Right. So as nurses, how much are we really trained in family dynamics and family therapy? You know, we take a psychology course, we take a behavioral psych course. If we were, if we're a mental health nurse, we got a lot more, but most nurses on the floor haven't studied mental health that much, but we're expected to be able to navigate some very, very complicated dynamics amongst our patients and their families, and then our colleagues on top of that. So that can be a very difficult thing for nurses to, to, to process at work and then feel, feel out how, to, how do I bring this home and how do I then deal with my own feelings and the reverberations of that situation once I leave the hospital and go home? What happens then? <laughs> I I still some because we're now talking about a number of you know it said we're from from it, it our conversation is bringing me back to like memories on bedside you mm -hmm. know interactions and it, it's really it's really difficult um, even even you as the nurse in between families who mm -hmm. someone said, don't let this person in. Don't let this person, I said, uh, am I policing them? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, I understand. I said, uh, I'll do my best, but we, we don't have a lot of time. That's why I would say, we don't have a lot of time for you know, policing everyone, but maybe I could give you time to, if you want to share with me what's bothering you really. And that's mm -hmm. just sometimes, and then sometimes I would just kind of offer, would you like to speak with, um, like with whoever is an, a spiritual worker or a guidance counselor right in the facility? Right. So I'm going to be busy <laughs> taking care of the patient. And then, you know, someone else could take care of their loved ones. So all, all this is such a challenge. Mm -hmm. And 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 in, in and again, um, when... In your experience, have you had, what was your, have you ever had that moment where you really went out of control or you just have been under control <laughs> even all those stress that you've had? Mm -hmm. Yeah, around 12 or 13 years ago, I was very, very burned out from one particular position. I was working in Springfield, Massachusetts, and I was working with a, the very, um, a very economically disadvantaged, mostly Latino or Latinx community. And I was doing intensive case management out of a, a, a clinic, a federally qualified health center. And I was working with some very, very sick individuals with advanced AIDS and hepatitis C and mental health issues and often substance use disorders and a lot of dysfunction in their families and, and difficulty and poverty. Just you could name the socioeconomic problems and so many of my patients were experiencing them. No fault of their own. They were, they were born into situations that often brought them to these types of living living standards right uh, so i i became overly involved with a lot of these families and i didn't break boundaries in any 
really unethical ways. It's just that I was very emotionally involved and really tried as a nurse, you know, when nurses try to fix things, we try to fix, we try to make things better. And there were times, not with my patients, but in my personal life where that was bleeding over and I was burning out and I was losing control in my personal life because my, my relationships, my health, all the other aspects of my life were suffering because I had wed myself to this job that basically because of the way I chose to do this job and because of the person I am and the sensitivity that I carry really put me, put me on edge. It really took me to that, that precipice that many nurses come to. And that's a hard place to be. And when we get to that precipice, we have to decide what we're going to do. You also mentioned that the personal development is the key to professional development. Mm -hmm. Can you expand that? Mm -hmm. Well, like I referred to earlier, when we have experiences in our, our earlier life that are still haunting us, scars, emotional, spiritual, psychic scars from our past, those we carry into our work as nurses. And um, I, I know there have been papers and studies and anecdotal studies uh, or anecdotal papers written about how many nurses are estimated to be adult children of alcoholics or coming from dysfunctional families. And that ability to truly be able to understand our own personal development and our own trajectory in life is what can lead to, I believe, happiness and satisfaction or unhappiness and dissatisfaction in our careers. So that ability, like I said earlier, to dive deep into that muck and mud that you mentioned where the lotus flower grows out of, that ability and willingness to, to do the subterranean work to allow us to actualize ourselves. And I'm not coming from a place of saying I'm completely self-actualized. I'll be 57 this summer in August and I've got a long way to go. I have a lot of work to do. And um, I often in therapy, I, I talk to my therapist pretty much almost every week. And I sometimes I'll say to him, I'll be like, Scott, I'm almost 60 years old. Like, when is this over? You know, when, and when do I get to this place where there's no more work to do? And he said, well, pretty much when you die, you know? So he, he normalizes the fact that, that most of us aren't Ram Dass or Mahatma Gandhi, you know? And even those people probably had their issues. We just weren't aware of them, but there's, there's this work that as human beings, we can choose to do if we want to. And our culture doesn't always support us doing that kind of work, but I feel like in the 21st century, it's becoming more normal slowly for people to, to take those deep dives. And I think those deep dives are where we can really do some really important work on ourselves. Does that, does that answer your question or did I go off the rails there? Yeah. I did go off the rails. It's <laughs> Oh, Grace, just so you know, you're frozen. I can't hear you at the moment. And you're frozen to me too. There we go. You're back. You're back. So I was asking you if I'd gone off the rails on that response and you said, yes. And I said, oh, I went off the rails there. Oh, <laughs> no. What, what I mean is that you may have gone deeper to be able to share that, your perception about that. And uh, what, I, what I mean with that is it's not even, and you emphasize a lot, and you're so humble to emphasize that, okay, I don't have all those PhD degree and psychotherapy, mm -hmm. whatever, right? You I don't. But then you're, you're, you, you are 
and, and I believe in sharing experience. For me, mm-hmm. experience sharing comes first. And mm-hmm. in fact, I learn much more on how to really become a, a good nurse outside nursing school. So, and, yes. and, and that's the beautiful thing of life, right? So, and when you said that, and I remembered you also mentioning about your being a yoga teacher. Mm-hmm. And then, so, okay, how about maybe you could share more and connect the, um, connect your experience as a yoga teacher on mm-hmm. what our body, how, how, how our body helps us to be able to even know, like, you know, w- that certain things are happening. And then what can we do about that? Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm no longer a yoga teacher or a massage therapist, but those, the training that I went through and the experiences I had in my 20s in those particular fields have really stayed with me. And um, I, I believe that in those worlds of Eastern spirituality, of yoga, of all the different types of work that people do on themselves and for themselves and with others, that that can inform the way in which we live our lives and what we, what we decide to bring to the table. So there's, there's a lot of, um, there's great popularity these days for mindfulness. And I think that's, that's a really powerful tool and it can be used in many ways. And some of your, your, Listeners and viewers might remember John Kabat-Zinn. He wrote a book called Full Catastrophe Living, and he founded the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Center at University of Massachusetts Worcester in central Massachusetts a number of years ago. So he was way on the forefront, on the cutting edge of mindfulness, and he's brought it to healthcare because he's, he's a medical doctor. So whichever path we happen to choose, whether it's meditation or mindfulness or yoga or Chinese medicine, whatever it happens to be, there's, there, are, there are keys to our, our personal development, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically. And even if I personally at this time don't practice any of those specific those specific modalities, they still inform the way I look at my life and they inform the, the mentality and perspective that I bring to my life. And you can take what you learn if you're a yogini or yogi, you can take what you learn on the yoga mat and then you can bring that learning to your interactions with your patients. I'm reading a very beautiful memoir right now by a, a medical doctor. She's an ER doctor named Michelle Harper. And the book is called The Beauty in The Beauty in the Breaking. And it is an absolutely beautiful book. And I'm interviewing her at the end of April to for my podcast. She's an amazing, powerful African American woman who has done some incredible work as an ER physician. And in this book, she talks a lot about what you and I were talking about earlier, which was her childhood trauma, which for her was physical abuse and violence. And she also writes quite a bit in the book about her yoga practice. And she, she says it so much better and eloquently than I could ever say it. In one chapter I read this morning where her practice on the yoga mat in the yoga studio where she goes many times a week, that is that ability to stay centered, that ability to stay nimble and the ability to, to be flexible, not just of body, but to be flexible spiritually and emotionally and psychologically. She demonstrates in that book directly how she brings that to her practice in the ER. It's really profound. So I would highly recommend that book, actually. And she's just one example of a medical professional in the mainstream, in allopathic medicine, who takes a personal growth practice, and she sees yoga as a personal growth practice, and she brings it right into her workplace as 
in, in terms of the ways in which she approaches an incredibly stressful job. And she's just, she demonstrates that so beautifully in her writing. Well, thank, thank you for sharing her and her experience and her book. And um, when, when I used to work in ICU and it would be long hours, eight hours, 12 hours, and they are short of staff. So it becomes 16 hours. Mm -hmm. The moment, the moment I have a day off or the moment my, my, I, they will say, okay, you don't have to stay because we have enough staff. I will right away go to my yoga class. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of people yeah. missed their yoga yeah. classes during the pandemic, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can't, I can't live fully in terms of my uh, going back to my routine of uh, yoga or any like my dance because I, I do dance as well. But mm -hmm. just the Zoom, it's different. It's just different. But I, I do it, but it's nothing like when you're in person. Mm -hmm. Also, so that that's one of the best things. Now, in, 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 isn't that also similar to practicing meditation? That if we can keep practicing meditation outside a group meditation, outside, then eventually it becomes like a memory for our habits, mm -hmm. good habits, and bring it out. Right. That mindfulness, yeah. you can bring that mindfulness to your, be, your ability to be present with a patient in crisis, for instance. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and then when that just said in crisis, then remembering that okay, it's not all about you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when things are happening, it's not about you. It could mm -hmm. be that person, the patient is really, or the family is going through difficulty. And uh, uh, do you have any like um, experience on that? Because again, it related to yoga, the breathing. You know, when you can, we can be conscious about breathing. And then bring it to that actual crazy situation. Right. What I can say is that I I am not currently a, a practitioner of of yoga or meditation meditation in a in any formal way, and I I would say right here I disclose that that probably would be very good for me right now at this juncture in my life, and you know we all we all bring whatever it is we have to the table with us, right? Like you and I, we talked about our pasts, right? What we bring from the past and then whatever it is going on in our lives currently, maybe we recently divorced or maybe our parent just died or maybe our cat is sick or, you know, whatever it happens to be, or maybe we have our own health issues going on. Right. And I talk very openly about um, living with chronic pain. I have a very, I have a fairly rare bone disease. So I live with a lot of chronic pain. So, so that the, we have to make the choices we need to make each day in terms of what practices and what we want to bring into our lives in order to keep ourselves focused in order to keep ourselves calm and centered, right? Like right now in my backyard, there's this beautiful deer walking across the yard. And this deer has been coming by very regularly, probably with its family. And this, this young deer is very injured. One of its, um, oh, it just leapt over the fence. Amazing. Um, one of its hooves is almost completely severed. So that that deer coming to visit me often reminds me in a very mindful way of my own disability, my own pain, right? And um, so those are the, some of the ways I bring that kind of awareness into my life. I might not sit in a formal meditation posture, but I can take these moments for my life, like this deer walking right across like just not far from where I'm sitting right now. And it can remind me of something. And it's sometimes I feel like that's, 
that deer is there right now because there's something I need to be reminded of. And I don't mean that that deer knew it was coming to my yard in that moment because it needed to remind me of something, but I can use that experience in any way I want. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it, I envy you that you have such a beautiful scenery that you're looking at right now. It is very beautiful, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's beautiful. And well, for me, if that happens to me, it would be for me, I feel like, okay, other than you said, you, you, we share the same thought of it reminding me, but I would, I'd like to claim that, okay, this deer is telling me something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> telling me as a message for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll share that. I mentioned my therapist earlier. My therapist is, has a PhD in psychology. He's quite cognitively oriented. So we, we talk about thoughts a lot. You mentioned earlier something about, you know, you mentioned something about cognitive process or, you know, where's that thought coming from. Right. Um, And he also is Lakota. So he's Native American, grew up in the reservation. So see, he just has a very interesting way of looking at things from a very left brain perspective, but then he also brings in the very right brain perspective. And I think in our lives, we can also use these experiences in both ways too, right? So Mm -hmm. my left brain can say, you know, the deer is not really here for me. The deer is here because it's looking for something to eat. My right brain can say, well, yeah, and that deer's leg is half severed and it's limping. And actually four years ago, I almost lost my leg. So there's, there's something in that for me. Yeah. There's, there's something there for me to explore. And my empathy for this deer that has a leg almost not, it's just kind of hanging there, um, brings me back to the day that happened to me. So there's, there's a little, there is a little something there for me and I'm still looking at what that truly means to me. <laughs> well, not that you ask me what it means, but not right now when you said it lipped, it just went over the fence. Is that what happened mm-hmm. right now? One I of say, them did. Yeah. You, that, that might be you also for whatever is that, that you have to make a, that big leap. Mm, thank you. <laughs> that's that's lovely. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, we mentioned earlier that what I do is career coaching and some listeners or viewers might think, you know, where is this career coach coming from? <laughs> um, and, you know, I do help people with the rudiments of careers, you know, resumes and all those sorts of things. I, I, mm-hmm. I'm perfectly happy doing those things. But there's also, you know, you can have a really, really wonderful resume. You can have an incredible cover letter. You can interview really well. You can answer the questions in a job interview really well. You can do your job very, very well. But I still, I contend, it's my belief that if you're also not doing the inner work there's generally going to be something missing somewhere. There's some piece of the puzzle that has not been put into place or been examined. And it's those, here I am mixing metaphors again. There's some rocks out in your garden that you've not turned over yet. And until you do, there's, there's going to be some, some like static back there. And I see this in my clients all the time. They're like, I just can't figure out, you know, why I'm not happy. I can't put my finger on it. Right. And that's where we have to say, okay, so let's, let's, let's go a little bit underneath the surface and see what we find. That's beautiful. That's wonderful story. And, you know, about the rocks and, you know, Mm. turning it over and, I think there's another expression that I always like about the rocks is not not exactly about the rock, but someone saying that um, one when you're always busy or you're making things happen said you don't let the moss grow something like that <laughs> so it's it's just like 
you know, the other one, it's always buried there and you have to turn it over. But the beautiful thing with when you turn it over is there could be fat worms underneath. And those worms are very good. <laughs> mm -hmm. Especially if you're a bird. Um, yeah, I mean, that old saying of a rolling stone gathers no moss. And that's usually seen as a good thing. You know, we're, we're moving forward in our lives. We're not gathering moss. But at the same time, you know, there's also that old saying of don't just sit there, do something, right? Go spring into action and do something. But in some of the mindfulness worlds and mindfulness practices, they've taken that don't just sit there and do something. They've turned that over and they've said, don't just do something, sit there, right? Sometimes it's not something we actually have to do. We actually have to sit. And sometimes we sit in our pain or discomfort. We have to sit in that. Sometimes it's the pain of, I am extremely uncomfortable in the work I'm doing as a nurse. I, I'm extremely unhappy, but I don't, I can't really identify what it is. Like, why do I feel the way I do? So rather than just go out and look for another job because you just need something, maybe you need to sit in it and stew in it and really try to understand it. And then that might lead you to where the next job might be the best, what the best choice would be for that next job. Does that make sense? Yes. And that reminded me of my conversation earlier with a person who she, she volunteered or she said she's going to take a, um, a case or uh, to take care of an elderly on certain day. And that certain day, now she happened to get a phone call that she can now go to this facility to have her vaccine. But mm -hmm. then, so she's she's like in between, shall I take care of that person who really needs her care or go to the vaccine? And after a conversation on the phone, all at the end, I said, why don't you just, after I hang up and, and then you could just, do do sit a little bit if you have any type of quiet time just quiet yourself and then whatever comes in your heart just let the i i the the, the staff who's in charge of scheduling i said just call her and let her know what you decide and we're mm -hmm. okay with whatever you decide okay mm -hmm. so that reminded me. And technically, I always tell people, but sitting is also doing because you're sitting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's I... right. That's right. If you're sitting, that means, yeah, you are doing something. You're, you're contemplating or you're just, you're just being still so that you can, you can let things calm down enough so you can actually identify how you feel, right? And that stillness is important. And, and it's funny that deer is back. It's right outside my window again, about 25 feet away. And it's, it's very, very still at the moment. And it's just, it's just staring. And deer, deer are a really good example of how to be incredibly still. And, and I can tell it's smelling, it's hearing, it has these huge ears mm -hmm. and it's, it's contemplating in its environment. And sometimes I feel like that's what I need to do. And, and if I don't slow down enough to realize, oh, right, I really do need to slow down and listen a little bit, then I'm not really going to know what the right action is to take next, because I haven't taken a moment to just sit and think, okay, what do I really need to do in this moment? And I am not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. This is ongoing work for me every day. And it's hard work. <laughs> and um, uh, I, I really truly that the deer is share me uh, because sometimes now you're not frozen sometimes you get frozen yeah. yeah yeah well my little my little dear story i'll share with 
until when that was before the sun was born and in one of the road scenes. So, you know, there was a lot of um, farmlands. So there's not a lot of development yet. So um, before we hear, and at that moment, the message that we got is, is slow down. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we hit the deer, we slow down. And then the first thing that also came into, you know, because um, I was with um, the father of son. And at that point, see, no, we weren't married yet. Then I, at that point, and then I said, okay, slow down. But that was also the moment when we learned that I'm carrying a baby. Mm. So it, it's like a message that is slow down, have a baby with you. Wow. And mm-hmm. just also a message that there is also a message in indigenous traditions, because I come from the Philippines where we have a lot of conversations about nature and animals. Mm. So it's about family as well. So we don't have deer, but, you know, I learned that it's about family. So whenever I see deer right away, I say, slow down. If you're driving fast, slow down. It's okay. You don't, you, you're late. You're late. Mm-hmm. Good. Very good point. Yeah. Yeah. Earlier, you mentioned uh, the word beliefs and then our beliefs, this, um, are beliefs the same or as values or what's the difference and can beliefs be contradicting your values hmm that's a really that's a interesting question that i haven't really thought about before so we'll have to puzzle it through together so but beliefs can be handed down let's say by generation to generation right so maybe a belief in um the story of Jesus or a belief in um, the power of positive thinking, whatever the belief happens to be, right? Or the belief that, you know, a certain political stance is bad or good, right? So those beliefs can cause us, I believe, to develop um, to develop judgments and potentially maybe even bigotries right? And pers- per- wrong perceptions or, or skewed perceptions of other people, for instance. And so our, I, those core beliefs, I think, can be changed over time. They're still with you. Like what your, your, your racist grandfather may have planted some things in your mind that are hard to erase, like I had a very racist grandfather. So there were things he said that they're still there. You know, I'm still trying to heal those, but my beliefs never developed along the lines of his, but he planted those seeds in me, right? So our values, I think our values develop, wouldn't you think they develop alongside our beliefs and they can all change? Wouldn't that? do you think that would be true? Somewhat. It's not absolute, but there is that you know, um, relative reality, as they always mention. Yes, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So, I, yeah, I think there's, we can believe certain things about ourselves that often aren't true. And you mentioned something earlier about thought and saying, you know, is that thought really true? That's a very cognitive, behavioral, cognitive way of looking at your thoughts. So is what I'm thinking really true, right? So that thought could be based on a belief that's a false belief. Maybe you have a false belief about yourself that you've carried for a long time, and maybe it's time to let it go. And you might have a very simple false belief, like I can't be a successful nurse if I don't work in the ER because that's all I know. And I believe that I will be very unhappy if I don't work in the ER, right? To, to simplify it, like the person I was talking to today, 
he didn't, he doesn't know that he could do anything else, even though he feels unhappy now. So he believes that that's true. And I don't think it's actually true, but he believes it's true. Um, if he and I had a deeper conversation about his values, about what's important to him in nursing and why he's a nurse, those underlying values might lead him to come to a conclusion that, huh, maybe my belief is false, right? Like you said, relative realities. Maybe my belief that I have to work in the ER isn't really true because I can fulfill and live my values working in home health, right? So it's interesting. And human beings are fascinating and complicated and, and I have a hard enough time just navigating my own stuff. And um, I guess we all do, don't we? Yeah, that's the but that's the beauty of life. We, mm. I always say that as so, as long as you can still wake up, as long as you have that breath, you always have a chance to really fully develop yourself. And yeah, yeah, you, I'm I'm in I'm in agreement with you. When for me, the one when, when I hear the word believe, it could be like very self limiting. It's mm-hmm. more, more, you know, but then the value, it, when the word value expands more and the value sort of like goes to your heart. So like, you know, when, when we get confused about it and just kind of like go back with the value, the value, you know? Yeah. I think and, you're right. So I think can, that's spot on. Yeah. So let's say, would you like to share your, how's your daily habit the day for the day? Because, you know, it's always a good thing to know because you're successful and later on you can connect it to what makes you really successful. I, hmm. I say you're a success, so don't say you're not. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, it's a, that's relative too, right? Those are relative realities. Um, I, I'm going to be very, very honest um, that here at the end of the pandemic, well, not the end of the pandemic, 13 months into the pandemic, when things are slowly starting to change, my routines have changed. And I realized just this past weekend that I need to tighten them up again, that I need to get back to how I would normally wake up in the morning, hydrate myself really well, maybe have a tiny bit of protein if I need something to get me going and then exercise, do my stretching and my strengthening exercises or my cardio, whatever it is I choose to do that morning and then start my day. And I've noticed recently, and this is just me being honest, (laughs) authenticity, right? I've noticed recently that I've been off my game and I have not been doing those routines, especially first thing in the morning that help me start off on the right foot. So there's, there's, I'm a little bit off track right now in my life, I'll say in April of 2021. And there's, there's some changes I need to make in order to get back into that centered place. So my optimal would be, I wake up, hydrate, have a little protein, do my stretching, do my strength exercises, do my cardio, take a shower, um, have a really healthy breakfast, and then be ready for the day. And maybe even sit and read for a little while before I even open a device or look at anything. And that that's an optimal practice. And I'm, I can see that that's something that I've strayed from. And I bet a lot of your listeners and viewers can probably relate to that. Thank you. No, I, yeah, I think, uh, so we don't feel bad. I think so a lot of us are off. It's like for me, when the, then when they did that daily savings time, it even becomes more off for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, it, it takes me like maybe weeks to settle up. All right, that's the routine. Listeners and viewers who are also taking care of their loved ones who have dementia and Alzheimer's, maybe you could just kind of inspire them and let them, you know, get motivated for themselves. Exactly. Right. Yeah. This is a fascinating conversation, 
grace in them. You, you bring a lot of real, real thoughtful questions and ideas to, to your work here. And I'm, I'm really impressed with how you um, guide the conversation. Well, thank you. <laughs> it's my, it's really, a, um, it's my honor truly, you know, uh, to have you. And um, it, even if it's uh, just our first meeting, I'm very honored. Go, go ahead and tell, tell them more where they can get in touch with you or any projects in the future. Nursekeith.com is the best place to find me. Oh, did I freeze? Can you I'm hear me, Grace? You're frozen. <laughs> oh, can you hear me? Yes, now I can. There you go. Oh, so mm -hmm. so yeah. nursekeith.com is the best place to find me. That's sort of the clearinghouse. So people can find my blog there. They can find my podcast. They can find all my social media. The Nurse Keith Show is my podcast. It comes out at least once a week. There's over 300 episodes. And... Um, that's a great place for people to learn about me and, and what I do and to hear interviews with some pretty wonderful people. So the Nurse Keith Show, it's on any, any podcast app you can name, it's there. And they can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, they're, they're welcome to connect with me on social media. So I'm, I'm always happy to have a conversation with anyone who wants to talk about their career. They can contact me for a 30 minute consult, no obligation whatsoever. And they can feel free to get in touch. And I'd love to have a chat with anyone about what's going on for them. Thank you so much. And I'd like to end this conversation, Keith, with my quantum formation. And this is kind of like one of my tools that I do. I have like these cards. Like, and then I shuffle it every day, uh, especially when I feel like I'm a little off, okay? Because before uh, and before last year, I was more diligent and now it's like going crazy. Sometimes I even forget, but then when I have to, so I, I shuffle this and I said, what can I share with kids today and for the listeners and viewers? And this is what I got. It's, and, and it's perfect for what we just had conversation it says overcoming fear overcoming fear i am not afraid whatever situation arises i will get through it with my own inner strength i am powerful i am not afraid whatever situation arises i will get through it with my own inner strength i am powerful i am not afraid Whatever situation arises, I will get through it with my own inner strength. I am powerful. Mm. And I encourage um, to, to say this in three times in the morning, at noon and in the evening. And if you can do it also at night time, even better. So the power of 12. And mm. when, I, when, when I used to go to my office, I bring my card and bring it there and say it in fact in the bathroom or wherever I can say it. So I will put a copy of this also in this episode and information of Keith will be together with its episode. And if you haven't checked it out yet, go to quantumnurse.live. That's my little new um, website that I'm slowly building. So I'm getting a little more techy. That's <laughs> okay. great, Grace. And so and Thank you so much. And in my language, I say mabalos. Thank you. Thank you, Grace.